0: John chapter 8 beginning of verse 1 But Jesus went to the mount of olives how early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them and then the scribes and the pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in the midst they said to him teacher This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they they said testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is Without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, Where are your accusers, or where are those accusers of yours? Who has, or has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As we look at the beginning of John chapter 8, to put it in the setting of of, of what's taking place here, you have this celebration known as the Feast of Tabernacles that has been taking place. Um, God's people have been celebrating throughout this week, and um, during the the feast, they they celebrate the, the rock that provided the water in the wilderness, and they celebrate the... The pillar of fire that provided light and guidance um, during the time of the Exodus and and in those years in the wilderness. And we look and and see here what's taking place. They would have had these pillars of light that would have been there in the temple area, and and historically, it tells us that from these these pillars of light that are there is a celebration to remember what God had done. Um, you could see these, 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 these lights from anywhere in Jerusalem. Everybody would have looked up onto the Temple Mount there and looked and just seen the light shining there. And they're there and they're celebrating and they're celebrating God's faithfulness. They're celebrating all that he had done for them. And now comes the time at the end of, the, of this particular festival. The lights would have been the, would have been blown out. And Jesus is there speaking. More than likely, it's still there. You can still see where it was. It's just the day after. You can still see where it is that these lights were burning. But Jesus makes an incredible statement here at the end of our passage saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the light. So all of them would have already been looking at these lights, celebrating joyful time as a nation. But Jesus is there saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Imagine what was taking place for the people of Israel as they left um, and are going and, and, and escaping from the Egyptians, and now in a place where they're being taken into the desert, into the wilderness. A place that that wouldn't have been familiar to any of them, and you can imagine what takes place in in, in a desert. Um, on our way home from the youth retreat up in Mammoth, um, Jonathan wasn't feeling great, so we said, "Like, let's let's think of what else we can do since he probably won't go to school tomorrow anyhow. Let's let's just play hooky and do it well. So, where else should we go? As long as he's not going to school tomorrow, and." Tasha said, what's what's around here? What's between here and home? And I said, Death Valley. That's between here and home. And we looked up the temperatures, and it was still like in the high 80s or low 90s. And, and we thought of everything that could possibly go wrong, um, being even in Death Valley at those temperatures. Um, not the normal, like, Three hundred degrees that it is down there. So, we we ventured on to Santa Barbara instead, where it was safe. But look, thinking about it, you've been in the desert. You you know what it's like. It, it is just incredibly hot during the day, and it can just be freezing at night. And being in a place where you don't you don't necessarily know. Where to go? You don't know how to live in that particular land. And God takes them and provides water for them as the rock is struck. Not only that, but he takes this cloud and says, here's a cloud. I'm going to put this cloud over you during the day. And at night, there'll be this pillar of light. This, 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 this cloud that will be covering you and covering the tabernacle. And it'll be there. When you're supposed to go someplace, I'm going to have the cloud move. If you're supposed to go at night, I'll have the pillar of light move. You just go to wherever it is that that cloud is and that pillar of light is. You Think of just the kindness of our God. It it, it tells us in the book of Numbers um, where in chapter 9 it gives a description of of what's taking place here. If you want to turn there with me just for a moment. Numbers chapter 9. In verse 15. See here a, a picture of, of what's taking place with this cloud and what's taking place with this light. Numbers 9.15. Now on the day of, that, that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning... It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was also. um, So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after the children of Israel would journey, and in the place where the the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of, of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. And so it was, when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. And so it was, when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. And when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would remain in the camp, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. This is an awesome picture here, isn't it? You can just picture the people of God, okay, we're camping. Cloud, still there, covering us during the day, keeping us from being scorched. At night, pillar of fire that is there keeps us from freezing. But more than that, we we know that God's presence is with us. We don't want to step out. We don't want to go out and try to do things on our own. We are together. We're united. We're the people of God. And we're going to stay here under the cloud or under the pillar of fire. We will not move. If it's one day, we're staying here. If it's two days, we'll stay here. If it's a week, we'll stay here. If it's a month, we'll stay here. If it's a year, we're going to stay here. We are not going to move unless God says, move now. The cloud's moving. Let's move. Trumpets were blown, and they would all... Come together, I mean you're talking about millions of people. They're under this cloud, and God's just they're so gracious with them, saying, like, "Here is this cloud, and it is your covering. Here is this cloud showing you my Shekinah glory. I am with you right now. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not departing from you. Stay here with me. It's just the sweetest picture here of a, of a heavenly Father. If you, if you come and, and greet my little girl Natalie. She's four and I'm there. Um, you might find her hide herself behind my leg. And she does that like a lot of kids do. Um, we're trying to teach her when you greet her to look at you and say, Hi, you know. I'm i like I feel like Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. Always look eye, look eye. You know, like da, 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 da. you know, we're looking this look eye. We're trying to get her to look at you in the eye and greet you. But you look, if you think, some of you young people, you have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Karate kid, Mr. Miyagi. Okay. But it's just like that with God. Here is this cloud, and here is this pillar of light. And they're just staying right there, right by him, all the time. You think of those years of just not knowing. Everything's new, not knowing where to go, not knowing when to move being in, in the desert, being in the wilderness. And God's providing manna coming down from earth. And we see in John, Jesus is saying, you know, I am the bread of life. We, we, we see the water being poured forth and Jesus saying here, I am the fountain of living waters. Drink from me, you'll never thirst again. And now we come to, to this particular section where Jesus is saying the next I am phrase Clearly revealing his deity and saying, I am the light of the world. All of these people are celebrating this particular feast and they're thinking of the kindness of God as far as like this light. We just know when it moves, we move. We go with him. He's in our presence. He's here. He is our strength. He is our provider. And as much complaining and sin that took place amongst the people there tells us here in the book of Numbers, when that cloud moved, they moved. When that light moved, the fire moved, they moved. They went with them. And so we find ourselves here with just an incredible passage before us of our Lord there saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the light. That picture that you have there of your people, the thing that you are celebrating right now as far as the water and the light, I'm the fountain of living waters, and I am the light. I'm the light. When they were there, that Shekinah glory that was there, that light in whom they followed, I am the light. That's me. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the words of our Lord where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I'm with you always. I'm the light of the world, but I am with you always. You get up and go, and I am there with you. I am that cloud. I am that pillar of light. Jesus is saying, that's me. We look and we see the picture here of, of, of a light. Light light is such that it reveals what things really look like. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's that which makes it so that we are able to see what things really look like. We're able to see the true beauty of God, and we're able to see the true ugliness of of our sin. The coming of Christ, um, it it caused light to shine with brilliance in the most incredible way. I mean, if you think think of Christ and we we look upon him, we see sacrificial love that nobody has ever seen before. The great love of, of which a God gives us his only begotten son, that Christ comes and he lays down his life for us. We see sacrificial love that makes us look upon God and, 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 and see Him for the one who gave us His Son and Christ who laid down His life. And it brings us to a place of, God, who is like you? Who is like you? See, overflowing grace and mercy. We see in an, an incredible display of undeserved compassion. We see in, in, in Christ perfect holiness. Um, even his enemies, I, I find no fault with him. And we see in Christ just incredible joy. We talk about people who, who walk into a room and we, we may say something about them like, you know, when they, when they come into the room, they just, they just light up the room. You know people like that? They come in and just, oh, it's such a joy. They just, they, they're out, everything. they just light up a room when they come in. Jesus came into this world and just lit up the world. To be able to see him and to see him in all of his perfections. To be able to, to see him and have him say things like, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you... Had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Um, so how can you say, show us the Father? If You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he comes in, and he just, he just lights up this world where they are able to look upon him and see him in all his perfections. Christ, light of light, perfect purity. Not only that, but an all-powerful king of kings who's ruling in perfect righteousness. shines so brightly so that we could see him. He also exposed our sin and the ugliness of sin. He exposed sin as, as, as in the sermon, sermon on the Mount where he, he would say things like, you say this, but I say to you, you know. If, if if you even look at a woman, you've committed adultery already in your heart. If you look at her with that lust in your heart, you've already committed. If you're angry, you've already come to a place of murder. So he exposes sin, exposes the sins of the Pharisees, the scribes. But I think the greatest picture of the ugliness of sin is to picture Christ upon the cross. I mean, we may have a propensity to look at our sin and say, "I know it's bad, but it's not. It's, it's, it's not that bad." I mean, there, there's other people that are a lot worse than what I am. But when we look at the light, when we look at Christ, we see Him wounded for our transgressions. We see Him bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sometimes I try to picture what it would have been like to be there at the cross. Um, A lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing, and just picturing him there. And picturing him with... A crown of thorns on his head. Um, stakes that have been driven through his hands, through his feet. His, his back just torn to pieces as he's been whipped 39 times with a cat of nine tails. Um, seeing him with, with, with people plucking out his beard. Having his face been beaten over and over again as they, as they punched him in the face with a bag that was over his face seeing them tear his clothing and and cast lots for his clothing. Just picturing the sin of me placed upon him. I I I think any one of us would just bury our face in the ground. I mean, just horrified by the wrath of Almighty God coming upon his perfect son so that you and I would never have to experience his wrath ever, ever again. I mean, to picture Jesus saying, it's finished. Like the price that, that should have been paid for your sin for all eternity for you, being in blackest darkness and separated from the glory of God, the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, all of the wrath that you deserved has been placed upon my son, and I, I I think that any of us would just weep horribly at the results of our sin upon christ it 's not sin where god says well it 's not that bad it 's not such that it's it's well there 's a lot of people a lot worse just Let's just pretend like it didn't happen. Just come on into the kingdom. It is sin that that is such that God sent his only begotten son to fulfill all righteousness and then to die the most horrific death so that you and I would not have to experience the wrath of Almighty God. The weight of of that picture of our sin is, is revealed so clearly the heinousness of it as we think of Christ upon the cross. Christ came. He was the light of the world. He exposed what our sin looked like. In saying that he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. We see that it implies that those who are not following Christ are in fact walking in darkness. The unbeliever may think that he sees clearly. The unbeliever may think that he has a path and he has a plan. And that he's making great strides in his life. But God tells us that he's still in darkness. God tells us that he's still blind. Think about this for a moment. If Christ made everything, including you and I, and he made all things for his glory, the man who lives for himself, for the temporary things that this world offers, with no care for the eternal kingdom of God or whether or not he's pleasing to God, he's walking in darkness. You can have the unbeliever that looks and says, well, I'm a good dad or I'm a good husband or I got my things together, I'm a good businessman, I'm honest, I do all these things, I help the poor, here's all the things that I'm doing. But they're doing it not for the glory of God, not because they love Christ, not because they want to honor Him, not because they want to serve Him, not because He's forgiven them of all of their sins. They're just doing it because they want to be seen as good people and they want to feel good about themselves. And God just says, they have a plan. This is what they're doing. But they're walking in darkness. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, we we put ourselves there under the cloud. We put ourselves there under the pillar and we have something to say, he guides us. We just walk with him. He tells us, this is the way, walk ye in it. And we go, okay, we want to be where you call us to be. We have his word that is given to us that teaches us about life, about godliness. And we look in his word and we say, this is what God says. God says this. If God says this, this is how I should be living, he leads us and he guides us. His Holy Spirit has been given to us to be the one who comforts us and to be the one that ministers to us and to be the one that speaks to us and and, and just cares for us. And he's molding and conforming us into the image of Christ to where we find ourselves there under the pillar of cloud and, and, and fire, being there where he is the light in whom we just say, God, show me where you want me to go. I pray that that would be where our hearts are at. We look and we say, we, we do things for his glory. We live for him. We want to honor him. We want to please him. I want to make the decisions in my life in a way that pleases him. Not just the big decisions in my life, but how I make decisions on a daily basis. The mundane, mundane things and, and, and looking at it and saying, these little things, may it be to your glory. The decisions that I make when I get home. The decisions that I make when I get to work. The decisions I make when I go to school. May every decision I make be such that it's for your glory. It's to please you. It's to honor you. You are the light. You are the one in whom we are to find ourselves right there under, holding on to your leg and just saying, God, protect me. God, lead me. I don't want to move until you tell me to move. I don't want to move until you say, this is the way. Go here. And that's who Jesus is. He is the light. So our passage here, It closes with Jesus saying to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You follow me, you won't be walking in darkness. Rather, you will have the light of life following him. Now going back to the beginning of this section, we come to to verse 1. And it tells us here, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And they said this, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Remember that these leaders were trying to, to get the, the guards to go and arrest Jesus just right before. And they came back, the guards came back and said, that when they said, why, why did you not arrest him? And he, they said, no one ever spoke like this man before. Well, that night, these guys go back and they're thinking, how can we get him? How can we get him? We need to get him. How do, we, how, how do we condemn Christ? What do we do? And you can imagine it. it's, it's not going to be easy to catch somebody in the very act of adultery. Not only that, but you see, it's, it's just the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And it's not the man. The rules there are such that you, you have to have a certain number of witnesses there to be able to know, like, yeah, they are actually committing adultery right now. And to have that, you would have had a man and a woman. And in this situation, you just have the woman. So in their minds, they're doing things that aren't legal and how they're handling the whole circumstance. And what they're trying to do ultimately is to bring accusations against Christ. And so Jesus is there. This woman comes, and it's been said that in in the commands, um, the circumstance in which a woman caught in adultery is to be stoned is one that is betrothed, engaged. So... um, There are those that say she probably was a young lady. A lot of times they're betrothed in those early teen years. And so she's there. And Jesus goes down and just begins to write on the ground with his finger. As though he didn't hear them. Then they continued asking him. And he raised himself up and said to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him throw a stone at her first. Which one of you guys are without sin, Christ says. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Makes you wonder what he wrote, huh? He, he may have just started writing some of the sins of these guys that are there that they thought nobody else knows about. And they're like, hey, I'm out of here. I'm not going to throw that first stone. Well, we don't know for certain, but Jesus is there alone now. And the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus raised himself, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. As we think of of this passage, where are our accusers? Who are our accusers? Every every one of us here is a sinner. But where is our accuser? You, You think of Scripture teaching that it's Satan who accuses us. You know, there's this exciting portion in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, verse 9, where it says that there's this great dragon that's cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. And there's this loud voice that comes from heaven. This is something that is yet to come, saying, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God... And the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. He has been cast down. The one who accuses you day and night has been cast down. There's passages that are in scripture that become some of the most popular passages to us and part of the reason why they're memorized part of the reason why we love them is because we know that we're guilty do you read something like what god says in romans 8 1 where it says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus just amazing i mean to think of this woman being caught in the very act of adultery and then we just step back and we look at the entirety of our lives the entirety of every sin that you have ever committed and to have Jesus say, where are your accusers? Where are they? To think that there will be a day that comes and Satan is cast out and we're there before him and it's where are your accusers? And for us to to be there and say, I have none. There's none. We read in Romans 4, verse 5, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Your faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, and this is what it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Oh, how happy is that person whose lawless deeds are forgiven. You may identify with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. But then to leave that place and to come into all of Scripture as a whole and look at Scripture as a whole, not specifically that passage, but looking at all of Scripture as a whole, and to see it Reinforced over and over and over again. Blessed is that man. Blessed is that woman whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Your sins, every last one of them, covered. Oh, blessed is that person to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. The sin is not placed upon you, it is removed. From you. Not only is it removed from you, but it's hurled into the very depths of the sea. He doesn't remember it anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. And and to be imagining what it's like as far as having accusers at you, and then our great accuser is cast down for all eternity, and we're there, and it's where are your accusers? And it's, I have none. There's none. You think of these accusers that are coming at this woman, do they have any authority to accuse her at all? No, they're all guilty too. The one that accuses us day and night, Satan, can he accuse us because he's without sin? Absolutely not. You look in the book of Zechariah in chapter 3, right there at the beginning, where there's Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And then Satan is there standing at his right hand to oppose him. Satan is there to oppose Joshua, the high priest. And here he is, Satan's accusing. And what happens here is the Lord looks at Satan and says, the Lord, it says this, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? tells us that Joshua is clothed with just filthy garments, filthy clothes. And he's standing there before the angel and he's just covered with filthy clothes. And God says, take away the filthy garments from him. And then God says, see I've removed your iniquity from you. And I'll clothe you with rich robes. Says, he says, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by Picture there, huh? Here's the accuser. This is what he's done. God just says, now take, take those dirty clothes off. Take them all off. Put clean clothes on him. Put a clean turban on his head. Let's make him clean. He's clean. And that's what God's done for us, hasn't he? Clothed us with robes of righteousness. And so, Jesus responds by saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We think of the sin in which has been committed. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. She refers to him as Lord, which would insinuate that she saw him to be not only master, but Lord God himself. Salvations come to her, but Jesus says... Go and sin no more. The response isn't just continue living in sin, continue living in fornication, continue living in adultery, continue living in homosexuality, continue living in whatever sexual sin that you have. He doesn't say just continue and it's okay and we'll pretend like it doesn't happen because there's no condemnation. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Repent, make a change, go in a different direction, obey me. And then he says to all the people, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am God, he's saying. I am the one that was there in the wilderness. I am the light of the world. I am the one that you followed and you didn't move till I moved. That was me. The ones who follow me. They do not walk in darkness anymore. They don't walk in fear. They're not there wondering when to go or when not to go. I am there with you even to the end of this age. You have the light of life. Let's close in prayer.